Good morning, Patrick. Good morning, Christine. All right. Um, gosh, you know, it's funny. You know, I've been on the, the schedule like every month to teach, and I was looking at text for today, and I was like, wait, I think I taught on forgiveness before. And I looked it up on my computer. I was talking about this in our, our little Sunday morning planning meeting this morning. <laughs> it was almost four years ago that I taught on forgiveness. I was. <laughs> I mean, it, it'll be like, you know, end of, end of May kind of a situation four years ago. But that's crazy. Yeah, it was down here. I remember it really clearly. Like, it was not that long ago. So um, I did, like, a two-week series about it and used this text as part of it. So I kind of stole from my previous talk a little bit, but not entirely. So um, I'm excited to be back in the chair in front of you all again. Um, <laughs> it, it's, it's such a privilege to be a part of this community and to be able to, to come before you and share the word of God. So let's go before God and thank him for that privilege. Lord, thank you for gathering us all here together today um, to worship with one voice. To be able to share in the presence of others that love you. To be able to learn, to love, to grow together. God, I pray that as we dig into your word today, I pray that it would challenge us. God, that your Holy Spirit would come in, renew us, dig things out of the closet that we have shoved back. God, that we would be released from that brokenness. God, that we would embrace new life that looks different than what we think that we would experience the freedom that comes in your name. Lord, excite us with your word today that it truly would be food, drink, that would satisfy us for eternity. Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be holy and pleasing to you, God, as I share this word today. It's in your name I pray. Amen. Um, so this is my title, When Jesus Doesn't Love Justice. I think that's a hard title because I'm a person that loves justice. That's something that's in, the, in my heartbeat. But I think as we open this text together today, we're going to see why this is true. So the first thing we're going to do is read. Yes. And this works, and I am like, praise Jesus. This hasn't worked for like months, and now today it works. So I'm thankful. Okay. So I'm going to read. This is in the NRSV version. Matthew eighteen fifteen to 35. If another member of the church sins against you, go and point out the fault when the two of you are alone. 
if the member listens to you, you have regained that one. But if you are not listened to, take one or two others along with you, so that every word may be confirmed by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If the member refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if the offender refuses to listen even to the church, let such, be, let such a one be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly I tell you, if two of you agree on earth about anything you ask, it will be done for you by the Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there among them. Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, if another member of the church sins against me, how often should I forgive? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, not seven times, but I tell you, 77 times. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he began the reckoning, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. And, as he could not pay, his lord ordered him to be sold, together with his wife and children and all his possessions, and payment to be made. So the slave fell on his knees before him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the lord of that slave released him and forgave him the debt. But that same slave, as he went out, came upon one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him by the throat, he said, Pay what you owe. Then his fellow slave fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. But he refused. Then he went and threw him into prison until he could pay the debt. When his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their lord all that had taken place. Then his lord summoned him and said to him, you wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow slave, as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his Lord handed him over to be tortured until he could pay his entire debt. So my heavenly Father will also do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother or sister from your heart. It's a hard teaching. And I think, I think we see a lot of ourselves in that text. Um, not much has changed for us, I think, since Jesus' time. Humans are still humans. And we react as we react. So, what do we do if we're offended? I think there's some pretty clear instructions that Jesus has here. That we must go to that person ourselves. Our first reaction is never to go to the offended, the person who's offended us and like immediately confront them. Is it right? What's our first reaction? Gossip. Talk to somebody else. And most of the time it's to prove how wrong they are, right? It's to build that case to be like, I feel so correct in my being offended right now. And the other person, you, you only ever tell 
your version of the story. You know, you don't get all of the facts involved there when you're talking to those other people. So what happens most of the time when you actually follow Jesus's prescription and confronting that person it, like without doing the gossiping part? What usually happens? Yes. They get defensive. That's a possibility. Um, I wouldn't say that always happens, though. I think if, if you confront someone in a really humble kind of way, they won't get defensive. By saying something like, man, it, it really hurt my feelings when you said this about people with mental illness. Would that per, if you, if someone came to you and was confronting you like that, would you get offended or defensive? Probably not, because it, it comes from a heart of like digging down deep underneath what some of those initial feelings are, and you're you're actually communicating what you're trying to say. So you, it's important to confront those things directly, but after you've taken the time to get over your anger. Um, because if we confront somebody in anger, just like if we confront our kids in anger, what usually happens? Boom. Lots of, like, you've, you've got your defensiveness happening. You've got, like, aggress- aggression happening. You're ready to defend your territory, you know? Um, so I think my first point in that confrontation is you have to be able to take a step back take a breath, dig under your stuff and where you're feeling offended, and then confront that person before you start jibber-jabbering to your neighbor or whoever about what's been going on. Um, and so, so Jesus' second step that we need to take is then we don't bring in other people into the equation until that person has, like, blown us off. It's like, what you have to say is not important I'm not going to listen to you. Um, That's when you can bring a friend alongside with you. And that's people from your church community, people from your faith community can go with you and do that. So after we've then confronted in community, then Jesus talks about um, if the member refuses even to listen to them, then tell it to the church. So you've got the whole church involved this time. And that's kind of like level three of intervention. Um, And then if the offender refuses to listen, even to the church, let such such a one be to you as a Gentile and tax collector. So what do you think Jesus meant about this Gentiles and tax collectors thing? What's, what's your response to that? I don't know. I didn't look at the other ones. So what does Jesus mean by treat them like the Gentiles and tax collectors? Other, there's other translations that say, like, pagans. Okay. That's a really good point, because those, those are the people that are no longer or not a part of the church, so therefore our judgment remains in our community among believers. He did. Yeah. 
See, because like when I first, when I have always read this before, I mean, in in the past, the way that I received that, treat them like the pagans, the Gentiles, and the tax collectors. It's like put them out of your community and don't have anything to do with them. But how did Jesus deal with Gentiles and pagans and tax collectors? He hung out with them. He ministered to them. He listened to them. He healed them. Yeah, Stephen. they had to get that they had to be welcomed in they had to repent they had to repent from their ways just as we all do if we're inside of the community of jesus we're repented from our sins so i think what jesus is trying to say here is not that when people aren't listening to you when you follow through this procedure that you just write them off it's You consider them like what Jeff was saying, no longer a part of that community of faith because of their decision, but you don't cut off relationship. There's always an openness to reconciliation. There's always an openness to renewal and rebirth. And so I guess there's a, it's a way of like how you think about how you interact with people that are in your family versus people that you've just met. You know, you're not going to tell people that you just met your life story and, and trust them with all of your heart secrets the way that you would trust the people that are in your family. But you still will interact with the people that are outside of your family, right? You know, you, you still have a relationship with them. And as your relationship grows deeper, you will share more details of your life and, and those things that are dear to you. So I think, like, what Jesus is saying is that They're not a part of the family anymore, but we're not writing them off forever. We're still maintaining a relationship because the only way that they're ever going to see the light, that they will ever see Christ, is through us. So this is tough. Because what we want to do is be like, "Mm, you didn't follow the rules. I'm writing you off. I'm not going to talk to you anymore. You're not in my family. See ya. We want to do that because then we feel like righteous and right about it. But Jesus is saying, okay, well, it's not healthy for them to be in the family right now because of the choices that they're making, but still extend fellowship to them. That's tough. Yeah, Herb. Mm-hmm. Julie, are you going to say something? Yep. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, it's more like the prodigal son kind of a situation where the son is the one who chose to leave the family, but the the father was waiting for them to come back. And I think in that in that parable, you know, you're you've got the situation where the father is anxiously waiting for the prodigal to return home. And I think that's the way that we should consider, you know, those that have walked with us in faith and are no longer walking in their faith, we should be anxiously waiting for them to return home and do everything that we can to extend um, fellowship and grace to them. Cool. Okay. So in this text, Jesus says uh, in response to Peter, um, his question about, Uh, How often and how many times should I forgive? You know, Peter's like seven times, because I think that was the teaching of the rabbis. You know, you forgive seven times. That's the maximum amount that you need to forgive. And Jesus' teaching takes it another step further, as he often does, and he says, forgive 77 times. Um, And and Jesus isn't saying that in the sense of, okay, you're going to count it up, and you're going to count 77 times, and after that, you don't need to forgive anymore. Um, no. Um, seven is that representation of a number of perfection. And so by using two sevens, he's saying infinitely. You need to forgive infinitely. Um, and then he tells this story about um, this servant who racked up an impossible sum to pay back, um, the amount that he racked up that he needed to pay back was 10,000 talents, and so that was about 200,000 years of wages. Clearly, there's no way that that sum could ever be paid back, and even though the servant was begging, I'll, I'll work it off, I'll work it off. Well, there's no way. There was an, it was a completely impossible situation for him to be able to pay that back. Um, and, and obviously, Jesus is using this as an as a analogy to show us you know, this is how much our sins are like. There's like 200,000 years of wages. There's no way that we can ever repay God for um, the way that we've betrayed God. Um, and I think that's an important thing to remember as we're in the season of Lent right now and, and understanding how much our sin has cost us, how much our sin has separated us from God how much we need Jesus. Because we can walk around in our daily lives and do pretty much okay without God, right? We can kind of let it get going. But really when it comes down to it, there's something that's missing. We're not whole. We're not complete. We're limping along. Because there's no way that we can do so many good things that will be good enough for God. Well, there's no way that we can be completely perfect in our mind, in our hearts, and in our actions. So how often do we act as that 
you know, the wicked servant who's been forgiven all of this, this 200,000 years of earnings, how often do we act the same way where we go and see the person in our life that has offended us, has hurt us, has sinned against us, and are holding them to this higher standard than we ever could live out? Um, I think in this case, you know, Jesus wants us to see that, that mercy trumps justice. You know, we might feel just, we might actually be right in a scenario where someone has hurt us or harmed us or sinned against us. We may be the right one, but the right answer isn't holding a grudge. The right response in light of the mercy that we have received from God through Christ is not to hold them accountable to that thing, to be made 100% right, because it's never going to be made 100% right. We can't undo the things that have been done to us. I think um, extending mercy to people forces us to lay down our pride. It has us come in the state of humility. It has us go before people, um, understanding that we have fallen short so many times, and we can see ourselves in their shoes. It has us stepping back and recognizing the places where we contributed to the thing that happened to us. Not that every single thing that's been done wrong to us is our fault. Because there are definitely things that have happened to people that are not their fault. But it's still our choice to extend that forgiveness. And it has nothing to do with how that other person responds to us. Because when we choose to extend forgiveness to others, it changes our hearts. Um. It helps us to see what Christ has done for us in a new light. It helps us to embrace that more fully and to be free. Grudge holding and putting people to account for every single thing that they've done wrong puts us in a position of being a judge, of having to take an account for every single thing that everyone does in their lives that hurts us. And I think it tears you up. Like it, it makes you feel really tight. You know what I mean? Like it really bound up and you're not able to see the beauty of what's going on in the world. And that person that has sinned against you or harmed you in some way, you can't see them doing anything right. And it, breaks relationship with people. I think what's really amazing that even though God set out the law for us to be able to recognize our sin, I think Christ in extending mercy and showing us through this parable that we need to extend mercy because so much mercy was extended to us. Um, shows us over and over again in the scriptures that mercy does trump justice in the sense of wanting to be right, to being the right party. Jesus is like, no, lay it down. 
because you have been forgiven so much that you ought to forgive others in the little. So where has that been true for you in your lives? Has there been someone that you've been called to forgive that was really challenging? Share. I want to hear it. I mean, this is, this is hard stuff to kind of admit in front of other people, but I think we need to hear those stories to encourage each other in that. It doesn't have to be the big wrong. It could be something small, but how that changed your heart. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. And that's, I think that's a good word, Jess, because, you know, that forgiveness isn't like a once for all time because we're still human and our own minds and Satan love to kind of prompt us with the wrongs that we've experienced and to bring up that resentment again. And so it's, it's a continuing process of laying it down when it's something that has cut us really deep. Yeah. Thanks for sharing. Yeah, Judy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's so true. Thanks for sharing, Jeannie. Mm-hmm. 
And, and I'm going to talk about some of that in a minute, just like what forgiveness is not in a second, too. So Because it's not about putting ourselves in a position where we're being abused. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I definitely agree with that. I think it's, you know, us in our own flesh, we do not want to forgive. That is not a position that we want to put ourselves in because that's admitting defeat. It's being wrong, almost. It's allowing yourself to be wronged. But say, I release the power of that over me because by the whole power of the Holy Spirit, I can forgive. Um, it's tough, but it's worth it. And so, again, we use justice to excuse holding grudges. You know, we, we say we're right just so we can hold a grudge, and it justifies us. But really, it just breaks us in the long run. So demanding your rights isn't that path to healing that you're looking for. It's really the path to self-destruction. And so what Jesus is calling us to is a a very difficult thing, but it's a freeing, life-giving thing to forgive. Um, So I guess the the question that I want to lay on us and something that we ought to meditate on and remember is, we have been forgiven all, so how much should we forgive? So in, in those moments where... There's little wrongs that happen on a day-to-day basis when you're living in a house with people and they don't do what you want them to do and you are offended, you know, you need to forgive that. I need to forgive that. And then there's the, the wrongs that may have been perpetuated on you from childhood. Say if you were abused, we still ought to forgive that as well because God is bigger than that too. 
So when we forgive, what are some practical things that we need to think about? Um, forgiveness doesn't destroy our memory of the thing of the wrong. We have to remember that, that it's going to come back up. We're, we're going to experience that again. God doesn't do like a mind eraser thing like men in black and take it all away, even though wouldn't that be great? I mean, I think there's, there's been a couple movies that have kind of addressed that. Um, and fortunately or unfortunately, those things that have happened in our past really have formed us to become the people who we are today. So we shouldn't want that memory to be completely erased from our minds because it does make us who we are. So when we forgive, know that the memories will still be there. Um, Forgiveness also doesn't remove all the consequences of the wrongdoing. So say this is like a criminal situation. You still should go forward and move forward with appropriate proceedings to deal with things that have been happening to you or have happened to you that are against the law. You need to do that. That doesn't negate your forgiveness process. Forgiveness is separate from the criminal case. Okay? Um, forgiveness doesn't rebuild trust. I mean, the trust building is a separate thing. And it's like what you were talking about. Um, but you can still forgive. And then building the trust again comes later. And you do it as a process over time. And you do it patiently. <laughs> so don't put yourself in a position either where you're forgiving somebody unwisely. So you're for, you're forgiving but not trusting that they're going to be the person that you always thought that they were and they're going to be wholly trustworthy to you again when it's big stuff. You've got to do it over time. It's not. Absolutely. I think that's absolutely the truth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Forgiveness is the beginning of rebuilding trust. It's a good word. And forgiveness doesn't always result in reconciliation. So it doesn't mean that you're always going to be back in relationship with one another again in the future. And that's hard. Because you, like, you want to be back in relationship with people that you love and you care for. But sometimes it's not meant to be. Eric? Thank you. Okay. 
since we're almost running out of time here. Okay, so this is um, a prayer. Can everybody see it? It's probably kind of small. Sorry. Um, So we're going to say this together, and it's just a a prayer about forgiveness in our lives. Um, Okay. What if God paid us back in full for all the wrong we have done? O Lord, we seek your mercy, yet we ourselves look for payback when we are wronged. We think it only fair and what is right when we retaliate and use harsh words and withdraw from relationship. The forgiveness you offer on our account is larger than we can comprehend. Still, we withhold forgiveness and carry the grudge over petty items. We are eager to do your judging. And the worst, we conspire our inner thoughts to secure your forgiveness while avoiding honest repentance. Forgive us, Lord, for the sins we know in our hearts. Save us, Lord, from the sins we hide. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy, slow to anger, and has not dealt with us according to our sins. Instead, God has chosen the sacrifice of God's own Son on our account. It is because Jesus Christ pays the last full measure that our sins are forgiven. This gift of forgiveness makes us able, with the power of Holy Spirit, to choose to forgive, renew, and live again in right relationship with each other and with our God. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. I think now is a really appropriate time for us to... Um, remember our forgiveness through communion. Um, In this Lenten season, we've committed as a church to have communion every Sunday in preparation for our Resurrection Sunday, where we experience the joy of Jesus rising from the dead. Um, But in this time of Lent, as we contemplate our brokenness and the sin that we hold inside, I think this Sunday, as we we partake of the cup and the bread, that we think m- most dearly about forgiveness and the places in our hearts where we harbor unforgiveness to ourselves and to others. Um, and we'll have everyone come up when they're ready. Um, I don't want you to think that if you have unforgiveness in your heart that you're not able to come to the table today, I want you to be able to come to the table knowing that you fall short, but knowing that it is through Christ's blood and his body that you can come to the table. On the night that he was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body given for you. And as often as you eat it, do it in remembrance of me. On that same night, he also took the cup And he said, come and drink. 
This is a representation of my blood poured out for you. And do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Come and eat and drink, remembering that Jesus has forgiven you. And in that same way, you are called to forgive others. It is by his power of his blood and his body that gives you the strength to forgive. Come to the table. have another duty.